Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 104 of State of the Game, the golf podcast that talks about stuff that matters. My name's Rod Murray, and what matters on this episode, and let's not kid each other, pretty much every conversation for the foreseeable future is the coronavirus pandemic and its fallout across the world. With the death toll from the deadly virus continuing to rise, there's a legitimate moral question to be asked about the importance of golf at a time like this, and certainly the need for players to take part in the recreational game is questionable. But beyond the weekly club competitions is a not insignificant industry, including, of course, the public showcase of the game, the major professional tours. In an already rapidly changing media landscape, COVID-19 has added another level of uncertainty about the future of professional golf, more particularly for any organisation not called the PGA Tour. So what does it all mean? Who might be the potential winners and losers in a post-virus world? Let's bring in some of the keenest minds in the game to discuss. From the US, he's a blogger, author, commentator and analyst. But this past week or so, he's also added podcast host back to his resume with the launch of The Shack Show. Jeff Shackleford, what a start to the new show. Michael Bamberg, Charlie Reimer and Ben Crenshaw, episodes one, two and three. You've got to slow down. You're going to run out of guests. Welcome, congrats and looking forward yeah, to chatting. No- Who's remodeling in the background? That's a great question. <laughs> I was able, I'll be able to take all of that out. Well, I'm not looking forward to it. Clates, is that you? <laughs> no, not uh, me. It's not me either. It's, it's, it sounds like someone's building a shed. It does. Yeah. We're doing dishes. <laughs> uh, Rod, uh, yes, thank you very much. I'm very excited to be back doing a show. It, it's going to go a lot of different ways, and, and it will not be three episodes every week. But <laughs> we had the Masters that didn't get played but it was a time to talk about some things around that and people who were uh obviously very directly tied to it in in different manners and so uh it just came together that way last week but uh, i'm looking forward to doing more shows and it's a it's a time where a lot of people are available to talk can i just say jeff this is the podcast i've always wanted to hear you do one-on-one uh and it's been enjoyable so far and i reckon it'll only get better so uh, congratulations, mate, and really looking forward to seeing what comes out. I listened to Crenshaw this morning, and I recommend that everybody should do the same. Enough about you. Let's move to guest number two from the Southern Hemisphere, where we continue to creep ever closer to winter. Course architect, columnist, analyst, and owner of the best Twitter take yet on the coronavirus, when he pointed out that no golfer in the world has any excuse to come out of the other end of this pandemic with a bad grip. It's a sort of homespun wisdom that you can only get from Mike Clayton Clates. Where did that come from? What prompted the... <laughs> What prompted the bad grip tweet? Oh, I was just, no, I was just thinking about how many players I've played with over the years with horrendous grips, 27 handicappers that were never going to be any good. It's like, well, you can sit on your couch and hold a club for two months and figure out how to hold it properly without ever going out and hitting balls and having to worry about it. But Golf I guess version. we can do that. I guess we can do that at any time. It was amazing how many people jumped in and disagreed with it. Oh, they pointed out all the good players with bad grips. It's like Paul Azinger and – I mean – not like you're you a bit divisive, Clates. <laughs> well, I was talking about the, the unplayable grips. You know, guys with 27 handicaps who can't play at all with horrendous grips. And if they only learned to hold the club properly, they'd play okay. So, anyway, that was that. I think it's the, I still think it's the best take I've yet seen because it's absolutely true. Uh, welcome. Looking forward to getting uh, your input as always today. And finally, we head to the UK where the population's been in lockdown for the best part of three weeks as the virus has hit that part of the world particularly hard. But the lockdown has meant an increase in productivity for our special guest, whose podcast, The Unofficial Partner, has gone from a weekly to a daily show in an effort to keep up with the impact of the current crisis on the sports business world. 
Richard Gillis is a long-time friend of the pod, author of the excellent 2016 book The Captain Myth, and one of the most knowledgeable people on that fuzzy world where sport and business intersect. Richard, great to have you aboard. Looking forward to getting your thoughts on what the future may hold for all of sport and golf in particular, and I hope that you don't have one of those grips that Clates is talking about. <laughs> I take everything that Clates says, you know, enormously seriously. <laughs> Mistake <laughs> number I, one. You know, I know it, it's true. I've, I haven't been out of the house for uh, for two months, so you know. But my golf my golf clubs are in the shed, so I can't get those either. <laughs> you are allowed to go to your own shed, Richard. Let's just clarify. You're not suggesting it's serious that. over here. Right. What is that like, by the way? We in Australia have been lucky. We've got restrictions and lots of recommendations about social distancing, but it's nothing like what. You and I think Shaq, I'm not sure whether you're an official uh, stay shelter in place there, but what's it like, Richard, just to be in the house and literally almost not allowed out? Yeah, it's peculiar um, and it's quite eerie. I mean, I live in, in Brighton on the south coast of, of Britain and it's a, you know, it's a seaside town and it's a, it's a tourist destination. And we've just had an Easter weekend, which the weather was sensational, you know, and, and it's eerily quiet. So, it's it's strange and we can go out um one of the one of the issues that we have is actually what 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 we can do and what we can't do so you know we're we're a democracy and we don't like being told what to do but um the government sort of was the criticism is that it was relatively slow to 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 respond but we are you know you can go out for some exercise and you can go to go out to shop for essentials unless you are a key worker, which which means that, you know, you have to go to work. So um, it's a bit odd and people, you know, there is a lot of the news agenda is full of photos of people being cl- too close together and being over parks and, you know, but the vast majority of people are, are behaving very sensibly. And it's, you know, you're walking down the road and you see someone else and you you, you sort of walk into the middle of the road. And, and so it's it, it, it's peculiar. And you know, there's been 101 different takes on what the impact of this is going to be to society and to culture and the rest of it. But we don't, I don't think anyone really knows what's happening. Speculation, you know, isn't Boris Johnson, the Prime Minister, was, was, you know, has been in hospital and been in intensive care for the last week. So it's just, and the Queen has, has made a message to the, you know, done a, a live broadcast to the, to the uh, nation. So it's strange times. Um, and uh, yeah, it's very odd. PM saved by a Kiwi. So well done, Jenny from Infocargill, who might be the most famous Kiwi Kiwi in the world all of a sudden. That experience sounds almost universal. Similar to what we've got here, I had the the impression that, well, I suppose we're in the same sort of boat here, that you can be fined for being out and about if you shouldn't be, and all of those pictures. Is it the same for you there, Shaq? You're supposed to be inside. Can you be fined if you're outside without good reason? And are you having all of those same pictures on the news, which we get here as well, and people saying, well, I see people running in the park, six feet close to each other why can't we play golf where you can stay miles away from others yeah we've had all that and uh we have a lot of the same things that that richard described and for the most part so far it has remained sane uh but the weather has been very good here in southern california so when the weather gets better uh that's going to be a real test combined with the whole cabin fever thing and and the golf side of things is is uh, shut down but the maintenance has continued of golf courses so that to me is a positive because it keeps people employed and it keeps uh the courses maintained where uh, i think the people working are pretty safe and it prevents a 
the issue of, of, as we know, when you let a golf course go, it goes really, really fast. Uh, so, and that, that's for the most part, not flaunting any kind of rules. The biggest issue I see around here is that just people under the age of 30, just, uh, just don't have a clue. They're, they're not wearing masks. They, they walk bouncing off each other and almost seem defiant about it. And, uh, uh, that's the only strange thing that I've I've really seen the the sort of the, the general ignorance of uh, people of a certain certain age group, and I don't I don't really know where that has come from. But uh, otherwise, it's um, you know all things considered, kind of incredible how well things have been held together so far. Sounds remarkably similar to here, doesn't it, Clates? It's a it's it's not kind of a, an order to stay in your house, but. If you're going to go out and be silly, there's every chance you might get a fine for it. It's certainly down there in Victoria where you are much more stringent than the rest of the country, it seems. Daniel Andrews has really cracked down on that sort of stuff. So sounds like we've all got a similar kind of experience. Yeah, they fined a couple of people $1,600 for turned out that uploaded photos of their holiday on their Facebook page, but they were oh. from last year. <laughs> but, but they fined him anyway. <laughs> <laughs> you get some agreement about that. If you're still posting photos from last year's holiday, that <laughs> maybe you deserve to be fined. So they, 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 they got a learner driver, didn't they? And then they rescinded the fine. Was that the yeah? Thing there? Yeah, she'd been out practicing driving, so they fined her as well. But they rescinded them both. But yeah, yeah, they've, they've been a little heavy-handed. But um, Daniel Andrews has been pretty good on this whole thing, really. Yeah, I, who, who, Who's for those who don't know is the state governor of Victoria, the premier. Yeah, uh-huh. and a man keen and quite a good golfer. Good player, golf tragic. Yeah, yeah so. indeed, indeed. Yeah, so I think we're all sort of living under the same circumstances. Look, that's going to dominate conversations. I think pretty much every conversation will start with just what we had there. What's it like where you are and how you're going? Of course, the bigger picture is that the world will continue on, and uh, I know Jeff that. You've had issues about this when we spoke on the last episode. I think we're all in the same boat. When is the right time to start thinking about uh, the future and what what golf might look like or whatever your, your business happens to be? Golf is a legitimate business. We've started to see in Australia, I assume, in both your markets as well, a few people with these columns, they tend to be of a certain political persuasion, that kind of says, you know what, uh, we really should be back at work and let whatever happens with the virus happen. Uh <laughs> You're getting, you're getting some of that, Shaq, and what, what's your take on when is the right time to talk and think about, as we're about to do, uh, the business of golf looking ahead? Yeah, well, I've struggled from the beginning with that because I feel like golf is something that is important to be doing and it, it can be done in a safe way, um, but the I, it's more the optics that I look at and I can't deal with the idea of, you know, I was talking to somebody who... Uh, this golf course is going to open and if they, they could just wait another 19 days, it would be May 1st when we were talking and the majority of the golfers want to open and that golf course sits across the street from the, the, the local hospital. And, and, and he and I were discussing how it, it won't be hard for somebody to take a photograph with people out there playing golf and, and, and an ambulance coming into the, the, the hospital. And, and the look of that is, is dreadful for the sport. So I mostly lean on the optics side for uh, obviously why we need to just uh, stay quiet. And then obviously just keeping people in and, and doing those kinds of things is important. So I understand the pain that, that golfers have, but I just keep clinging to that idea that we, but, but as things get better, the sport 
has a chance to be viewed differently. So don't, don't screw this up. Think about the people who are suffering. Show some respect for everything that's going on and know that, uh, that, that, that if we're aggressive in the approach to this, the sooner you'll be able to play golf and, and the better things will be. So that's, that's where I'm at. The business side, I'm still really struggling with in what, what matters. But at some point here, we have to start acknowledging the realities of, of those stories and those components beyond just tournament scheduling. But what's the sport going to look like after? I started sketching out some blog posts, and I'll be watching and listening to Richard, obviously, for, for some of my uh, inspiration. But I started sketching out a whole bunch of blog posts about the, the reset of golf after this and the values. And we probably should do some, some pods on that front, too. Maybe they'll inspire a little of that thinking, but I'm not, I'm just not ready to put those out there yet. I just feel like it's a little too soon for that. Well, the the numbers keep going up every day. People are actually dying, which kind of puts golf in perspective. Oh, and, and it, yeah, and that's you, you hear those things. Well, the, the death toll was lower today at, at 737, 737 people, and then all the people around them. And 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 I, I sometimes it's amazing how and I get these politicians and different people are working ridiculous hours and they're tired, but. Uh, they, I think they forget how, how, how callous and cold that sounds sometimes. I hope they do. Yeah, Richard Gillis, are we this little group and golf in particular the only ones in the business of sport doing any hand wringing? Your podcast, which is brilliant, the unofficial partner podcast, people should be listening if they've got any interest in business and sport. How are other sports dealing with this? Are we the only ones doing this hand wringing, or have all sports sort of wondered about? their position and when it's time to start talking publicly about what the future might look like. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I don't think that <clears throat> my sense is that um, there isn't much hand-wringing um, and that, that I've, I, I start with enormous sympathy for, for what Jeff has just said. Having said that, I do think it's also um, very important that we get back to attempting to sort of reshape or, or get back to, to work um, as quickly as, as is possible. And, you know, as, and that could be weeks, it could be months, we don't know. But I think that we shouldn't be too um, uh, sensitive about that because that's also very important. You know, and just from a from a commercial side of the, the game, I think it's important that people make the link between people. This is, you know, all the way down. This has been an absolute disaster for, for the golf industry, but also for the sports industry and anyone. And by the way, that means that 90 percent of the people more are not millionaire superstar players. They are people in the supply chain all the way down from event holders to people supplying events, hospitality, you know, it's, this is a cataclysmic moment. And, um, I think what we just need to, like, you know, no sane human being would disagree with what, what um, Jeff just said. But I also think that there are a lot of people out there saying, okay, well, this is a crisis and you shouldn't waste a crisis. And this is what, what, what is it that we're going to do? How can we respond to that? And that's a legitimate response. I don't, you know, that I don't see that in political terms. I see that as a sort of, that's just what people in, in business do. Mm. 
Has any sport stood out to you as having handled things to this point better than any other, or is everybody in the same lost floating boat in the middle of an ocean with no real idea what to do, where to go, or what to say? I think there's a there's a um, where we, we, again it's it's early days, and there's not much mileage in in sort of criticising individual governing bodies or sports in terms of their response. We over here the sort of the conversation has been that there's a photo of, of the Cheltenham races, which is the big race meet. Um, and that happened, I think, you know, the week bef- of the, of the shutdown. And that was, a you know, they, there were questions at the time. And now that looks like the, the worst photo in the world. You know, it's just tens of thousands of people crammed together looking, uh, you know, look, having fun in a horse race. It just, it just feels like that. That's that photo is like a, um, it just doesn't reflect well on on the on on the sport, but also they then took their lead from Boris Johnson, our Prime Minister, who was at the Six Nations Rugby the weekend before, and you know, very, literally the week after they shut the country down. So it's very difficult to criticise sports governing bodies because they take their their lead. So they, you know, it, it, it's just a timing thing. Um, so I don't think that there's much mileage in in judging sport by sport but now i think there is a there's a whole load of questions about well what what are they doing now how are they responding to this um and sport is is always got a dual role in these things it's a business in its own right but it also is an enormous signal um that for 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 other things and people you know it's just part of the daily conversation and so for example the premier league and football, you know what the footballers are doing is just on the daily news agenda because it's just it's sending a signal to everyone else, and so that's you know that they are what they will always be at the in the in the um, middle of the conversation. Mm. We'll come back. I wanted to talk to you about some of the broadcast rights and what's happening with fees, and there's a bunch of that sort of stuff happening here in Australia, and I guess everywhere as well. There's a whole bunch of things that sports and broadcasters and that whole industry needs to talk about. Clates, I wanted to. I wanted to come to you. Uh, obviously, you're a player. You would talk to a whole lot of players. But business golf's almost two businesses, isn't it? We've got that recreational club level, which is a week-in, week-out business, and um, be it semi-private, private, or completely public golf courses. And professional golf's a sort of a separate business. What are you hearing on both of those fronts? Because I know all you do all day is talk to golfers everywhere across the spectrum. What are people talking about? Well, I get but before this, there were – a lot of clubs in Australia, as I assume in Britain, probably in America too, Shaq, that were struggling to stay afloat and, you know, the precarious businesses at the best of times. So what this is going to do to them is a huge question when the game opens up, the, the health of golf clubs. You know, what do members do who've lost their jobs? They pay their fees. To, you know, that's, a, that's a really tricky question and really a much more important question for golf and the future of the professional tours really mm-hmm. because you're right you know it's a two-part game but the amateur game and the club game is what golf really is so the tours are just the shop window and obviously the the, the focus has been on the health of the tours but really the most important thing is the health of the game and the health of golf clubs and how they come out of this which, as you say, we're already struggling. More than 50%, two years ago, Golf Australia did a study, and more than 50% of clubs in Australia reported being under some form of financial stress. That's staggering, isn't it? Uh, yeah, so the clubs that have, you know, the big clubs in Melbourne that 
with the big maintenance budgets and lots of staff or they'll be okay but their, their businesses might look a whole lot different in a year's time and so the clubs are a little lower down the pecking order certainly in Melbourne where, where there's obviously a lot of great golf around the sandbelt the, the demand for club membership is exceeded by the um, supply so they would think there'll be some inevitable casualties there which, which and, and, be, that, and how that plays out is kind of it's going to be interesting you know the, the private clubs become public courses that might be a great thing for the game so who knows you're right it feels like an acceleration more than a cause though doesn't it an acceleration of a bunch of existing problems that have been brought to a head very rapidly uh by this sort of thing have you been talking to many other golf pros of what what are what are pros themselves talking about do you still chat to many guys who play on the tour is there are they talking at all about golf and when they might go back to it are they hearing much from tours i've spoken to too many i mean i spoke to um lucas michelle who does better work for me in the design business, who was going to play at Augusta last week, so he's um, set up in his backyard with the net hitting balls and doing video lessons with his teacher in down at Delquest in California, Chuck, near where you are. So um, he's doing that, and you know the others are just sort of. It looks like they're all sitting at home hitting balls in the nets, really, because that's all they can do. And your contemporaries telling tour tales. I notice we haven't seen you telling any yet, but Tony Johnston's been pretty active in that space. I'd like to see you uh, turn the phone on and maybe... All right, re- I'll, re- I'll, I'll, <laughs> that might be the end of you. Might be the end of you. You're the only one here who hasn't got your own podcast, Clates. Shaq's got one and Richard's yeah, well, got one. I've got one, but you've appeared on more podcasts than the three of us combined. So you've got that... You've got that... Uh, got that I'll focus. just... I'll just I'll just stick to you calling me, right? That's fine. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Uh, Shaq, are you talking to, my, to many people in the business, in the industry? Uh, we know sort of what you were suggesting, outlining what, what you think about it. Is there much chatter and what is the nature of that? Oh, chatter? yeah. Yeah, a lot of chatter. Uh, the, the, the pros who have their uh, – I talked to a couple who have their, uh, their heads uh, screwed on straight. Uh, basically said their clubs have stayed in their travel bag and they're not uh, really they're, they're kind of respecting everything that's going on but obviously I, I spent this morning arguing with a, a younger fan uh, needlessly about the timeline that has been set forward for these other events and there's a real eagerness to get them back and a kind of a disregard for some of the things that will have to happen uh, for those events to be played so uh there is definitely an, an energy and a desire and we all have it to to see that return but there's a i think a lack of thought given to all the things that do need to happen um so that's what i've detected um paul mcginley wrote some interesting stuff about that overnight didn't he Shane? well yeah and i would love to hear what richard had to think uh, had to say because i think he i sent you that article this morning it, it, i'm still pondering but it looked to me like he was sending out the first, uh, well, not the first, because Richard had a piece, but uh, I think there are going to be some signs where players are going to have to start wrapping their head around the, the idea that they're not going to be playing for the amount of money they were playing for before this, if that was, if that's my correct reading of the, the, the buried lead in that piece. Richard, did you see McGinley's piece? I'm not sure if you were on that email chain, actually. That might be my fault. I didn't include you. Did you see what Paul McGinley wrote over No, there? I didn't send it to him, but I figured he saw it. Yeah. Well, I think there's a, you know, it's picking up a general that if we if we assume that this is a a major crisis, you know, it's it's 
and that's that's obvious. Um, it's you then start to unpick. Well, what is it that is going to happen? And there are some real challenges. So if you look at look at goal, I mean, do you want to summarize? I, I haven't read McGinley's piece. Do you want to summarize it back to me? Because I'm sure that I don't want to sort of uh, go back over what he's just said. Jack, have you got it there in front of you? I don't. I can look it up. I don't. But essentially, it's going to be a different game, and and he was essentially trying to prepare people for the idea that that the RNA got it right, and that these organizations thinking of the fall, while commendable, it's going to be very difficult. And then and then did touch on the notion that that golf pros will probably not be playing for what they played for before. Yeah, that's those are the key points that I took from it. Uh, hang on a minute. So I'm just having, I've just got it up here, Richard. There was a couple of things that uh, I think Shaq's right that sort of stood out there, uh, and that that seemed to sort of be the moment. He really brought into question as much as anything the the, the common sense. If you put in, you know, if you start looking at the, the practicalities of actually playing this schedule that's been outlined for later in the year, that yeah. was a fairly significant part of the message, mm-hmm. which I think we've all uh, sort of sort of thought the same thing as we've as we've gone along. But I think in the longer term, Shaq's right there, Richard. He was sort of suggesting pros need to brace themselves for smaller purses and probably less tournaments. Put simply, that seems to make some sense, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean I think it's it's we're at a really fascinating moment. So if you if we sort of step back and look at what's happened in the last few months and and um i the the whole premier golf league um question which i know jeff was was really close to and and i was reading his stuff with with um andrew gardner uh it, it it's it's fascinating because actually if you look back at if you look at the tour and if you ask the question is golf does do the tours provide what the audience want to to watch? And the answer, I'm afraid, most of the time is no, it it doesn't. And so that's always going to be a vulnerability. It's always going to be a commercial vulnerability. It has been for for decades, and we've all known that. And so actually, what this crisis really means is that it's it's a sharpening of of the faults. It's not it's not necessarily creating new problems, but it's bringing into focus. Um, the challenges that have always been there and the challenges that, that, you know, a small fraction of the playing um, or the players um, are, have bring any sort of commercial value to the, to the event. So the, the premier golf league, whether this works or not, and whether this happens now or not is it's, it hasn't come from nowhere. Um, and it will come again. And the, and the problem that the tours have is that structurally they're unable to to provide what the audience actually wants if, if we assume that the audience in uh, beyond a small coterie of of or not small but, but beyond the avid group of golf fans they want to see the best players play against each other more regularly and they might want to see teams and we'll we'll, we'll put that to one side for a moment but if we then if, if we make that assumption that that's that's what um where the money is going to be um, in a crisis like this, there is a flight to safety or, or, and there is a flight to quality or whatever cliche you want to use. But it feels like, well, that if that happens, it will look a little bit like what they were, they were uh, Gardner and, you know, they were suggesting in the, in the new league. Now, 
if you then look at the end of this year and, and what people are saying, the end of the year, it looks a little bit like what the Premier Golf League might might be offering. It's going to be a whole load of very high tariff events, lots of money, and lots of the best players in the world playing against each other. And if I'm the tours, I'm thinking, well, I hope the, I hope the audience doesn't get to like this because you know that's what they were selling. That's what they've been. That's the model that they're trying to get away. And I think, and Jeff will have his own view on this but i think they got pretty close um and i what i was really interested in mcelroy's sort of uh defense of the bga tour and and i'm not close enough to mcelroy to sort of poke into his the incentives at play around that but i'm, I'm second guessing them but jeff do you think that that was a, a shock to the to the to the tours did they know it was coming or were they is it just you know, we've seen them do enormously long 2030 media rights deals um, that are trying to sort of jump ahead of this story. But the problem is basically still there. And this crisis makes it more acute. Do you, I don't understand your question. You, do you mean that the tours were not ready for what McElroy said or, or that the Premier League was doing what, the, what they what, were doing? Yeah, the Premier, Premier League. Uh, yeah, I think they were in a little bit of denial about it, and I don't think they. I, my guess is they didn't really grasp the reaction that it received, which was uh, quite a bit of very positive reaction about some of their ideas and rethinking things, and and I think that's that threw them off more than anything. Um, uh, you know why? Why Rory McIlroy thinks we care about his independent contractor status is is a little bit beyond me um and he isn't an independent contractor the pga if he wanted to have a charity match tomorrow uh just he and justin thomas thing 25 uh feet apart and somebody offered them 20 million dollars to uh play golf and show it on twitch and give the money to a hospital fund he couldn't do it uh he'd have to get the pga tours approval so his idea that he's an independent contractor is is is, is uh not necessarily accurate either so i think they were mostly though caught flat-footed that this uh notion would would actually be something that people would listen to again like you said the team element who knows i think there are uh, cases that that, that for that uh, with generations and and younger people liking that kind of thing but more importantly i just don't think they grasped that uh this group was as organized as they were and that their thoughts were so well received by agents and players. And, and part of that positive reception may have just simply been that a lot of those agents and players are really not enjoying their dealings with the PGA tour. And it was an enjoyable way to, uh, leverage <laughs> this against them. Yeah, them. I don't, I don't know that for sure, but that, that I'm sure that's part of it. Yeah. There's a couple of things at play there, isn't it? It feels to me, Richard, like what you're describing there is that same, acceleration that Clates and I were talking about with the, the club things. It's really accelerated an issue that has, as you say, continues to simmer. Uh, question two, can you be an independent contractor with a large-scale media deal with the PGA Tour? I'm not sure you can. If you're on Golf Pass TV, does that somehow muddy the waters for, for Rory? That wasn't a particular surprise, I didn't think, when he came out given that. But I suppose more to the point, the problem, isn't it, Richard, for any sort of golf Premier League, the truth about the marketable golfers in the world is that it runs out probably before you get to 20. Golf Premier League, we're talking about 48, I think. 
If you went to 48 in the world rankings and asked people if they wanted to watch that person play golf, the answer was invariably no. They weren't that interested. So is that high celebrity, highly marketable group too small ultimately for a golf Premier League to work? Leaving aside the questions of where you draw that next generation pool of the great players from to fill the Premier League with. Um, golf carries, you know, is the both tours, European and PGA Tour, the, the proportion of of um, players that every every sponsor and every media, anyone who's buying golf in any sense, sits down with a blank piece of paper and starts to write that list of players that you've talked about. Now, depending on how inside or outside of golf really, listeners of this podcast, you'll get in, you know, a fair way down towards the 48, presumably. Um, most people won't. They won't get to 10. So the, that's essentially always been the challenge. And, the, and the, the tours exist for all of the players. That's, you know, that's why they, um, they get up in the morning and their, their whole agenda is to um, provide for their members. And the members are the players. So they are not, they don't get up in the morning and think, what does a golf fan want? So private money, private equity, or the sports washing money from, you know, whoever, wherever the money is coming from, if they start with the question, what does a, what do sports fans want from golf? It ain't what they're getting at the moment. And as, as soon as there is a gap there, that's, that will never go away. That's what, that's what business does. That's what, you know, the, the, the private money will come in and try and exploit that, um, that challenge. So, if you then said, right, okay, well, what do they want? And it, okay, if it is the premier goal, and and the teams element to this is not, it, it shouldn't be discounted. I, there wasn't when I said I'll you know part the, the teams idea. Teams from a from a if you look at it from an investor's perspective, teams are incredibly valuable because it gives you a, a sort of unit of um, affiliation that you can then build around and gives you longevity, and it, it allows you. A, lot, a longer window. So, you know, if you look at um, Roy McIlroy, Tiger Woods, you know, the, the once in a generation players, of course, those people will come along and they make um, enormous amounts of money. And there is a cottage industry around them of, of agents and, and whatever that, that pass through the game. But once they've gone, they've gone and there is a there is a spike and they'll go. Um, teams will endure. So someone like, if you compare the Woods career to say, you know, Tom Brady, for example, Robert Kraft is looking at Tom Brady and saying, okay, every time he walks out, he's creating value for the Patriots brand. And, and that's where his point of investment is. Now, if you then said teams in golf have a proven value, you know, Nigel Farage has spent his adult life trying to get the UK out of Europe. Every two years, he puts, you know, he waves a Europe flag. Teams are a point of um, uh, uh, importance. And that's why a lot of money goes into football because they can, they can build um, investment and they can, they, they, they've got a, a window for their investment and they, can, they feel that there's a greater um, level of um, security there for the money when it comes in. So that's, I think that teams are a really big bit of this um, agenda. It's not culturally. It's a bit odd for golf, but they're betting that they can make that make that argument. Um, so I don't. And, and again, I don't see the tours as having much of a defence against that. That without looking, you know, um, a bit 
just just you know superficial so if you come in with a strong team element to this i think this is a really really powerful argument what do you reckon clates are we golfers and just don't get it is richard onto something is there a bunch of non-golfers waiting to queue up behind teams in golf doesn't grab me but- no I, I mean i i've thought about it much i like the team idea because when we were kids jeff ogilvy always said the most fun he ever had playing golf was playing in the interstate team which is the big thing in australia so you know teams golf is a huge part of ncaa golf, you know, golf in america um the Ryder cup i mean the the the, the the team events are amazingly successful. People love them. So perhaps there is a place for that. I'm not, I haven't thought about it that much, but every team event I've ever been involved with, you know, has always been a big deal and a lot of fun to be a part of and competitive. And um, you know, perhaps we've got something there. Hmm. Maybe it doesn't take long either. I mean, I, I, one one sort of again case study that will always be on a sort of marketing deck of these people are looking at uh, investing in sport is the IPL, the Indian Premier League, you know, and that, okay, it's been going 10 years now, 12 years. And, but the, the teams were created from nothing and almost, you know, within a year um, were actual entities that people felt an emotional sort of uh, resonance with. So it is possible. And if you then take what works from across sport and apply it to golf, which is what, Again, you've got to get our heads out of the, the sort of the emotion of it. In you know, it's not golf. That's not what how we do things normally. If you if we if we stop thinking like that and start to think like a sort of you know someone who is looking to make money over the next twenty five years, or even you know seven years of an investment um, window, then okay, well let's use what you know. What why does the NBA work? Why does the NFL work? Why does the Premier League work? Why does Formula One work? for people who are looking to make money from sport and how can we make golf which has got loads of very positive qualities and is very popular um make it more exciting for not you know both for the golf fan the audience but also for the people who are going to then put millions of quid into this not not to be argumentative richard but could you equally find as many examples of people trying to start teams and having the opposite experience of the ipl i take your point broadly are there some keys to that? Could we not find? I'm I'm sure that you could look back and find sports that have tried to build it or, or start a league. I think we've probably seen it in football here a couple of times with the Super League here, which is there's a lot of other elements to that as well. You know, just inventing teams in a city and expecting people to to take them that hasn't worked. Or am I looking for reasons not to like the team concept? That's possible. No, no, I, I, you know, I'm with you. I've I've got from a personal perspective. I don't love it. I don't, you know, but I, I'm trying to get into the head of the people that are um, actors in this in this role. And, you know, and I think that there's, you know, the XFL in the States is, has been tried a few times. And, and, you know, again, no one loves it or, or not enough people love it. So, yes, there are plenty of examples of failures. I'm not saying this is a, this is a you know, a, a bulletproof idea, but I can I can see the need and I can see the gap and I can see um, that if you then got this away, this idea, Andy, you know, I think they were, they were an interview away from this working. I think the McElroy thing has batted them back. They ain't going to go away. And, you know, why a lot of the, um, the excitement around this from the, from the 
from the money people is that is just how close they got to turning the heads of very very rich golfers let's face it there's no unhappiness in you know i don't look at rory's life and sense um unhappiness you know or or discontent which is normally where you have to exploit you know when when packer disrupted cricket or when they disrupted the, when rugby went pro it was because there was discontent uh, the star players weren't earning enough they were filling out stadiums and not earning enough money tony Gregg's conversation about you know the the uh, centenary test where it cost him money to go over to australia and play um all of that doesn't it doesn't pertain to golf but yet they got very very close i think to to making this happen yeah, interesting and of course McElroy didn't rule it out either he did actually say at the end of all of that I suppose if everybody else goes across, I'll have to go across too. So there was still yeah. things. Oh, the one that surprised I think that me. Just, just, on the, just one final point on that. I think that the analogy, again, looking at a different sport, I think that, um, and we touched on it earlier, this idea of, of he plays where he wants to play, which is you know, the, the, the argument for the, uh, the, the free contractor. Um, he looked at the Premier League. Again, this is complete supposition. But he looked at the Premier League and saw Formula One for golf. Now, talking of multi-millionaire sports people moaning about their lot, go go interview Lewis Hamilton for twenty minutes, and you know you will be there. And he, it's like you, the end is nigh. You know, it's 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 a, and it's because he resents the time he has to spend with team sponsors. He resents the schedule. He resents being wheeled out every every event. So with something like a Premier League or a Formula One or, you know, the Premier Golf League, there does come responsibility to turn out and to t- go into a team. And that might be actually, a, you know, a, a significant um, anti because it's not money. No, basically. it can't be about the money, can it, for that certain group of players. Shaq, I mentioned in the opening that if you're a professional golf organization not called the pga tour uh that you might be a bit nervous at the moment which isn't to suggest that the pga tour is going to escape this unscathed they remarkably got through the 2008 financial crisis essentially unscathed Mm. which was quite the neat trick in hindsight compared to how everybody else fared at that time but surely if you look at the landscape of professional golf if you were looking for vulnerable golf tours you would well, certainly out of the top two, you would look to the European Tour to perhaps mm-hmm. have more issues than the PGA Tour. They don't have as big a bank behind them, as far as we know, uh, to sort of to come through this. So, so what, what might be your take? And what might be some of the potential outcomes? Is this the time when the PGA Tour and the European Tour become one to combat the Premier Golf League? None of this stuff's gone away. A lot of that talk's been put on hold. But in the background, I'm sure there's still loads going on. Well, one of the reasons I've been reluctant to do too much on this, uh, besides the sensitivity issue, is I, I just think if you really step back and ponder what's going on and, and read some of the things that, that Richard has done, anything is possible now. I think anything is conceivable in terms of uh, the models for both of these tours. I think both had shaky models to begin with that were overemphasizing the the needs of players in the 125 to 170 range and filling tournaments with people who, I don't mean to be rude, but a few we didn't even know were still playing golf uh, on the PGA Tour. And, and, and the bloat uh, and the excess driven strictly by that, that push for playing opportunities, all those things, all that now just looks uh, problematic. 
and uh, the, the, the year-round nonstop play, all those things are up in the air now in terms of what people want to pay for and how much they want to pay. And that, none of that has anything to do with the Premier Golf League. It's just the, the economy and where things were already headed. And as you said earlier, that some of these, these values, and we'll do other shows talking about golf values that were going in a certain direction, and I believe a lot of those will now be expedited, some of them very good, some of them unfortunately not. But in the case of pro golf, I, I just think anything is possible right now. Uh, and uh, because how, how are a lot of these companies and, and, uh, and Richard, you address this in the, the piece I, I posted on my blog the other day that, that Rod sent me that, that you know, some of these companies are going to have a very hard time coming out of this, putting up large sums of money for pro golf. Some will be able to, because it's a great marketing tool still, 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 but the, the others who do it for, uh, entertaining clients or other, other reasons, not strictly on just just crass basic marketing and branding and visibility i think are gonna have a little tougher time out of this so and it just seems to me that the european tour was in a weaker position going into this so it seems like they are going to be the ones that uh have real problems but i also have a theory and i'm not thrilled about talking about it but (laughs) i i think they're just absolutely screaming to beat to join forces with the premier golf league, not with the PGA tour. Mm. Um, I think they, they both sides could really do a lot for one another, uh, in a partnership. And I don't, uh, know how to begin to explore how that, if that discussion has been had, but uh, a lot of similar minds, a lot of people who know each other. Same home base coming out of the UK. Yeah, just, just, it's a very long list of ways that, that, and Keith Pelly though, has been pretty hostile about the premier golf league, but Guy Kinnings is, is someday his uh, likely replacement. I used to be at IMG and a lot of these people are ex IMG and, um, he's very involved in the Ryder cup. I, anyway, I, it's, it's a theory that, uh, I think will have to be explored at some point or a actual relationship because it seems like a good fit. And, and, and they, the European tour could provide things that help the premier league answer questions of players who have legitimate questions about some of their ideas. So that's, that's my rambling uh, answer to your series of questions. Richard, the elephant in the room, is the European tour financially vulnerable the longer this crisis goes on, and how vulnerable might they be? One can't imagine that the PGA tour, it would take an awfully long break from golf to run the PGA tour coffers dry. You wouldn't think quite so for the European tour. Do we have any insight on that? Um, when you look at the tour, uh, you've got, as, as Jeff said, all bets are off. Really, um, there isn't. If you if you look at the main sort of revenue streams for the tour, you've got broadcast money um, and sponsorship, and then you've got event sort of promoters. All of them are suffering. If you look at the sponsorship market on its own, you know, you've got some very large categories that are going to be hurt very badly by this crisis. Airlines, cars. Um, these are big spenders in, in, uh, in golf. And, you know, that's a tap that it won't go off completely. But 
it's going to be hard to sort of make the case for golf um, in the same, quite the same way. So there is a, the question over the media money, and one of the one of the sort of running stories almost from day one of this, from a from a sports business perspective, has been what do the broadcasters do? Because obviously the broadcasters pay the money to the tour. If the tour are not providing the inventory, if the if the events aren't happening, then the decision that people like Sky have got is well, do we turn the money off? Are we legally able to do that? Do we, that's a zero option, do we um, carry on paying the same amount for stuff that we're not getting? Well, and then in between that, you've got where the lawyers go to work. You've, you've, the question is, well, do we, can we make good on this contract over the length of the contract? Now, um, just talking about uh, the European tour, European tour has done a recent deal in, uh, last year, which... Um, with Discovery, which again is a is a, a long standing in certain territories and covering certain sort of uh, bits of the world, but it's still Sky's money is is still fundamental to the Sky to to the tours coffers. Mm. Now, would Sky ever turn the money off and be the people that bankrupted the European Tour Golf? You know, that's a that would be a big moment, wouldn't it? That would be a big question. Could they make you know? Is it in the tour's um, uh, ability to to make good on the losses that Sky have, have are going to encounter on this? Um, again, that's a question that I'm sure is keeping Keith Pelly up at night. Can they either extend it, make you know, get the events, get them playing behind closed doors quickly, so at least they've got something to show and sell to advertisers? All these are questions that that. We don't know the answers to as yet. One uh, one question that I would say is is um, if there is a correction in the marketplace, and that's a you know a, a bullshit way of saying it's a lovely it, if the money does, visited. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you start to you know if the money does start to dry up, um, what what happens? And and okay, fewer events and and the events that are there have you know less prize money. Um, now I was listening to a very good podcast, another podcast, um, Sky's Cricket Podcast, with with two of my favourite cricket writers, Gideon Haig and uh, Mike Atherton, um, and they were talking about and and uh, Gideon mentioned, you know, there is a ver- a fair chance that state cricket goes back to being semi pro. Um, we have lived through a generation of sports people who have taken it for granted that if they become, you know, that that there is a profession, there is a life to be to be had as a fully professional golfer. And, you know, that's great, but that doesn't necessarily mean it always is going to be the case. And so the semi-pro golfer, as long as there is a route through from top to bottom and that the, the, the superstars at the top, there is a route for talented people at the bottom to, to, to get through. There isn't a guarantee, doesn't necessarily mean it has to be a guarantee for all of those to be earning, um, the amount that they have been earning. So that's going to be the, you know, that's the difficulty, and I'm sure that's what McGinley was getting at. Wow. Clates, as a player. Uh, you would you grew up in an era where it wasn't quite semi-pro, but closer to what Richard's describing than what we see today. Good, bad, indifferent, just different. What would be your take as player and four players 
on a contraction that ended up looking like that? Well, there were just fewer players that made the amounts of money that set them up for life when we played, whereas now you can do that. What, what I was interested in was the, the uh, link with Formula One, Richard, is in that that's really what a world golf tour would look like outside of America. You know, the US has its own car racing and Formula One is the world tour of, of car racing, which is what a European tour slash Premier League um, golf circuit could look like, where there were – how many Formula One races are there, 25 maybe? Uh, there are 20. 20. So, you know, could you play 25 great golf events that followed the same circuit that the Formula One circuit follows? I mean, obviously you're not going to go at Azerbaijan, but, you know, there are lots of cities around the world that would love to have the best non-American players playing in something as significant as Formula One car racing. So perhaps that's the model is that I mean, I've always thought that if every non-American player from 1980, Norman, Seve, Faldo, Nick Price, had decided that they were going to create a tour outside of America, that would be the biggest tour in the world now. You know, the American tour would be what car racing is to Americans, which was a sport largely dominated by American drivers and American cars. And, and the, World Tour would be what the Formula One circuit is, which is the best drivers, the best cars, the most glamour going around the world, operating massive events that that everyone wanted to buy. Mm. I'm not sure. Does that make any sense? Yeah, I think there's a. It's interesting that the 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 sort of um, Formula One is always seen, and and another reason why it's interesting is because it for the last. 15 years or has been um, uh, controlled by private equity. So CVC, which is a private equity business, in the same way as, as the Premier Golf League is, is supported by Rain Group. You know, they're similar types of organisations. They are essentially venture capitalists. So we, you know, and the thing about venture capitalists, you know where they're coming from. <laughs> you know, they're, they're, they're <laughs> in it to make more money. You know, they're, they're, it's, you, they're, you, they're spending other people's money, put that down and um, get a return in five, seven years' time. Now, in CBC's case, they made enormous amounts of money from Formula One. Um, they're now into rugby and they've, they've started to buy up um, bits of Six Nations, bits of club premiership um, rugby in, in the UK. So they are an active player and they are the example of a, of a you know, money it's, it's irritating for us that uh, who are not millionaires, but it is money is cheap at the moment. So we're and it's going to continue to be so for a while. So you've got these companies that have that can access money, put a great deal of money down on the table, and then they want control of that because they obviously want to dictate how that um, how the sports entity behaves because they can then um, extract more money from it. Now, that's not to say that's all bad, because actually it can be quite useful to, to have an outside perspective on a sport. And one of the criticisms of golf is that it's quite um, insular. It's quite, you know, it's it's difficult to, it's it's, it's quite an arcade, arcane sort of uh, structure and the rest of it, all the, all the things that we know about. So Formula One is a good example where, where private equity money has come in and made a fundamental difference, good and bad, and then sold it at the end and you can sort of see that the premier that's what um 
is happening here. It's not going to be something that is driven by the good of the players. It's being driven by the good of the investors mm -hmm. and they are banking on capturing the imagination of the audience and the players like the Formula One drivers will just have to go along with it. Two things, Richard. If I'm not mistaken, if one's run by a woman that you interviewed on your podcast, is that right? No, there's a number of senior women. It's 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 owned by um, it's about Ellie Norman, who is the she's the uh, marketing chief. Uh -huh. um, they've got a number of, of senior women, but there is a um, uh, it's owned now by a company called Liberty Liberty Media. Liberty Media, right? Okay, media company that owns it. And then the second thing, and I know you and I have had this discussion before, Richard, but isn't the issue for golf? And I, I take your point, and you're right that an outside view of golf is a healthy thing from time to time. The problem being is that golf is not as simple to transfer in and out of as many other sports. The Formula One's a fairly simple idea. Most, of, well, all of the people who watch Formula One don't drive Formula One cars. Almost everybody who watches golf plays golf, and people don't, for the most part, just play golf. There's a lot more involved in it than that. Golf is a part of something, or golf tends to form a much part, a bigger part of sort of life and lifestyle. So doesn't a new product need to appeal to golfers? Non-golfers aren't going to come and start watching golf just because they've got teams and Tiger Woods is playing. Are they? Is that a sensible business model? I know you and I have had this discussion before, and I seem to recall you made some good points to counter mine, which I didn't like, but I had to accept them. <laughs> um, okay, I, I, I disagree with, it, with what you just said. Um, again, any bet that people are making on, on me, if, if golf is your bet, and if you are saying that you're going to put your money into golf and try and build a business around it, it's not just the core golfers that are going to be your target. Um, just in the same way as, as um, for football, Formula One, rugby, all the other sports, there is a floating constituency, a very large and very affluent floating constituency who the NFL are chasing, the NBA are chasing in every market. They are all looking for these, you know, whatever we call them, the big eventers, They're the people who, uh, will be brought in to those big events. Now, they're only not coming. They're not coming to the sort of Greater Greensboro Open or they're not coming to the to the smaller European Tour events because they're just not interested. The players aren't there. But they might well come, you know, 10 times a year or they might tune in and they might buy a package that includes um, a few major events. Now, one of the questions... Um, that golf has is one of the things that I, you know, I often wonder is when does history stop mattering on in the calendar? I think you get to five events before history starts to, to lose its appeal. I'm talking about obviously the four majors and the Ryder Cup. Now you, we can argue the toss about, you know, how far below that, that history is the lever for the players to turn up. We know they will all turn up for those, for, for those four plus, you know, for the, the Ryder Cup potentially. Um, I don't know where, you know, if it and the PGA Tour, just the answer to the history question is shed loads of money. So it's a FedEx, you know, and, and it's a, OK, please don't go to the Premier Golf League. And because we'll make the FedEx worth whatever it is, um, that will go up and up and up. That's the that's the promise. And that's how they're going to spend the broadcast money. The question is whether or not that's that model is sustainable. Their idea of history is to change the name of the Greater Greensboro Open to the Wyndham. I think Sam Snead won eight Wyndham championships, which he's no doubt extremely excited about, even 
at this late stage. Shaq, you might have to be an adjudicator at some point soon. Clates, I'm going to ask you, who's right, me or Richard? Is golf about golf fans and golfers, or is there potential for something beyond that for the game, for the professional? I don't know. Well, the, the question is, where's the game in 50 years? What does it look like? Does it look like it does now? Does it look like you know, Formula One massive events where you know, it's a, does the US still dominate the game or can we create a tour outside of America that's, that's as significant? And the Premier League looks like it's the only shot at that because the European tour is not going to do it because they're going to be much weaker coming out of this than they were going into it. So can you create, my interest has always been can you create a tour outside of the United States that's as significant as what's inside the United States. And you need, obviously, money, which is what the Premier League would bring, and you need the non-American players to support it. But the great hook the American tour, of course, has got is the superannuation scheme. Yeah, money. Hmm. Which is just appearance money by another name, <laughs> as far as I can tell. De- deferred appearance yeah, money. Yeah, you know, it's just deferred appearance money. Indeed. Shaq. You haven't got quite the casting vote because I think Clates is kind of on the fence there. What's your take on? I don't market? even know what the question is at this point. Okay, what's the <laughs> what's the market for golf? Is it not golfers who watches golf? Golf golfers. That that's the truth of it at the moment. Can it can it expand beyond that? Can golf become an event like Formula One that attracts people who aren't golfers? That's what the Premier League are betting on, aren't they? Sure, can and and like but like tennis, it really only attracts those audiences. Uh, five times a year or four yeah. times. And um, I think that's in part because it's just, it's bloated and there's so much. And um, it is, it's, 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 a, there's just a lot. The, the days are long, the rounds are long, everything, everything. It's a big bloated sport. And to a, a younger audience, that's going to be a, a tough sell. Um, that said, coming out of this, situation it has a lot of positives that it can build on and and appeal to if it doesn't uh, screw up the opportunity and and try to come back too fast or try to play for the full fedex cup uh, prize money or whatever whatever it is just or just just be insensitive and that is its biggest issue i think is that it's viewed certain ways uh it is it it will never shed those those perceptions probably um, but there are ways to just at least make those less of a, of a major issue. And I think golf's tried to do that. I think it just tries too hard usually. And that's ultimately, to me, the biggest problem is the sport, to somebody who doesn't know it that well, uh, doesn't really appear very comfortable in its own skin now. It's trying so hard to be young and cool and this and that. And uh, they, you know, these guys are you know, calling them athletes every time somebody opens their mouth and, and, and people from the outside, I don't, I don't, it's not working. It's not appealing. The ratings didn't show that. And, uh, on the inside of the sport, it's turning people off. And again, what it's just, why is the sport should just be more comfortable with the fact that, you know, most of the greatest athletes in the history of the world admire golf or play golf and love it in other sports. That alone should be enough, but we always have to try and do all these different things and, um, now this is a more recent phenomenon and, and, and it's driven by obvious reasons, marketing people want young, 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 and, and, but it hasn't worked. The numbers before this crisis were, were showing 
not not improvements in ratings, plummeting numbers, frankly, uh, sometimes in certain cases. And it relied a lot on Tiger Woods, and that is it began to catch up to it. So, as 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 there's a, there's a chance here to think about. You know, we've discussed this before with with the number of holes on a golf course. If you if you started the game from scratch today, it would be a twelve hole sport. If you started pro golf from scratch out of this, what would it look like? I think is the the, the question. And I don't think it would be all these tours spread out with with tournaments, with each tour having forty eight events, and uh, just and just tour. oversaturated. Yeah, and a I don't secondary think it would tour. Be that. Even the Asian tour's got a secondary tour, Shaq. The development right, right. <laughs> the Japan uh-huh. tour's got a now, secondary tour. So. I think the one thing the Premier League on that just on that topic of secondary uh, tour. The one thing they didn't really spell out very well was how that would work, and I have theories on why they didn't really make clear how it would work if if somebody loses their game and has to go down to what the equivalent of the minor leagues is. Uh, and I think it's just an uncomfortable topic to have with with golfers you're trying to l- lure. Mm. But that's something they they really need to answer because we know how the game is. We've seen it. It seems like the turnover is almost greater than ever. And so that is a potential fundamental flaw of what they've done is not making sure that that it's clear this really is not about 48 players. It, the, the main tour is, but they also do need to have a place where new talent emerges or where somebody goes when they they lose their game. And I think the part of the reason they don't really want to talk about that is that it's part of the drama and it's part of the team component that Captain Paul McKinley has been watching Shane Lowry's game, and he's an open champion. He understands, but he's he's missed fourteen cuts in a row, and he has to send him down to the to the whatever you want to call it the, the Challenge Tour. Let's call it the, the European the, Tour. Yeah, the almost <laughs> premier tour. Yeah, it's um, not quite premier. And, and and that is an uncomfortable thought for players. So there are things like that they haven't explained, and those are all minor issues compared to what we're talking about right now, which is the, the very survival of these tours coming out of this. But that said, if you blew up pro golf today uh, and started over again, you would, I think most people, given the, the, the options, either fans or people on the business side or maybe players, but I don't know, would pick the, the things that the Premier Golf League has laid out over the things that the PGA Tour and the European Tour uh, offer as part of their presentation. I mean, just nobody cares about the FedEx Cup. Uh, nobody cares about the race to Dubai. They're just not. They're not that interesting. And so, uh, is the team thing a better replacement? I, I don't know. My my problem with their team thing is there's not enough of it. It's just at the end of their their concept. I think mm. there should be actually more of it, given what we know now, with the joys of the Ryder Cup, the Presidents Cup, the Solheim Cup, every Cup event. The worst cup event is we've talked about this is is better than seventy five percent of the professional events played in the world. They're, it's 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 more it's guaranteed to be more interesting in part because of the drama, in part because of match play, uh, and all the weird dynamics of throwing individuals into a team setting, especially those who aren't used to it. I think that's speaking of sorry, cup please. events. Mm-hmm. Sorry, what do we make of the um, the LPGA? I, I was thinking of the Solheim Cup, which is perhaps the mm-hmm least got at the team's event, but it was a, it's a that's a great event. Yeah. So where does this leave the LPGA, for example? Because they're strong in Asia. 
where, where women's golf is stronger than men's golf, probably. Mm. I, I, believe me, that they're, they would be perfect for the Premier League concept as well. Very much so. Uh, yeah. And maybe even more so, and it would because it would almost inject, it would be that way of injecting a little bit more personality, even though we know the women have great personalities, but it's it's a competitive sports environment and and while they're the most successful women's professional league in the in the world it still is fighting for attention quite often and that's a big part of what is now a problem for golf the week-to-week attention is is just not there except to know what somebody's doing as they get to the major championships and or the last nine holes on sunday but everything up to that is is not particularly dramatic or or interesting unless there's a, a rules brouhaha and the sport doesn't want that. That's not how you want to be interesting. <laughs> well, maybe everyone's. <laughs> so, yeah, we like to see a car accident occasionally, Shaq. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, a combined so. LPGA LET would be a perfect feeder tour for a women's golf Premier League too, because the relations are already better between the two and stronger than what you've got on the other side. So it's a less divided. Uh, unit to start with. I, I agree with you, and we're not the first to point it out. Lots have suggested that that concept easily transfers to women's golf, uh, but the money clearly wouldn't be as big. But, it just, but also, look how inflexible these tours are. Yeah. You know, no, no events. With, somebody was asking me, a good player the other day, uh, we were talking about 12 holes, and I, and I said, we, you know, it would do wonders if, if we played a tour event, uh, 12 holes, and, the, and, and he just couldn't wrap his head around that concept, and they refused to do anything outside the box. I mean, look, we can't even get a damn mixed event back on the schedule, it, and they have all this polling that, the, it, that says this is what people want. They want to see it. They, they love the old JCPenney. It would add variety. It would be, bring the tours together. You could be... We can't even we can't even get that. They cannot. They are not nimble organizations because they are. Everything they do revolves around what these players want want more than ever. This is, by the way, in case you hadn't guessed, this is topic one on my game reset value list, which is <laughs> getting golf back to being about golf, not the players. The players are not bigger than the sport, but they've become allowed to be. So any opinion they have, and and you know, bless Rory for for taking a stand against Saudi Arabia. Uh, and, and that's wonderful that he has a human rights perspective. Uh, but gosh, not everything that these players think and say is, is thinking of the, the greater game and the, the good of the sport. They're thinking of themselves. I'm assuming that said player when the 12 hole discussion didn't realize the first Dozen or no, so no, no, British yeah, Opens to 12 holes. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. You could perhaps yeah, yeah, point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you could perhaps point me to the first dozen British Opens. Yeah. And say, they were all 12 yeah, holes. I mate. did. I did. I copied yeah. and pasted Tommy uh, more uh, uh, Tommy scores. You know, yeah. that 51 in the last round. Yeah. <laughs> and it is hard to wrap your head around, but uh, it worked. The, the, the Open was created. It survived. It, it, it turned out okay. Dear, oh dear. Well, we've neatly glossed over the fact that it's now two nil to Gillis on that point because he outpointed <laughs> me on the last podcast as well. And I think he's you've got that round as well, but I won't give up, Gillis. I'll. Uh, I, I guess it points to the complexity of all of the interrelated things in golf. Is golf a more complex sport, Richard, than others? Um, no, don't think so. I mean, it's it's you know there are lots of. Um, Every sport has its has the sort of patterns and structures that 
it all talks to the, the basic truth that that you know Jeff is right. These but these organisations won't change because it's turkeys for Christmas. So you know they have. If change is going to happen, it will always come from the outside. You know, and if this was a sort of you know this is the uh, whatever business school cliche. You know, the innovators dilemma or whatever it is kodak whatever the case study is that you, you know that, that you you can't expect um people who are doing very well to suddenly crack you know break everything down and start again it just doesn't happen like that and so every now and then there will be an outside sort of party that will do it and now you know this this is a golf is is having the same conversations as if you look at, at European football, European football is for as long as I have been in this game, you know, people have sidled up and said, you know, have you heard there's going to be a breakaway? The big clubs are going to break away and create their own closed European league with Juventus and Man United and, and whatever. Um, now, that may or may not happen, but it's it's these things take one. They take a very long time. And then suddenly change happens or there is, a, you know, this is comes back to where we are today is we are in the teeth of a crisis here, and these changes are. This is these are the sorts of moments where fundamental changes happen because there isn't, you know, the, the, and they come from outside. They're not going to come from mm. inside. It's ripe, isn't it? You can, you can feel it. It's just ripe for the taking. If you wanted to take over, now is the time. Uh, absolutely for it to happen. Last thing to just close up, I'll get this thought from each of you. I'll start with you, Clates. Have you got any gut feeling on what golf might look like this time 10 years from now? No, not really. I don't, you know, I, I think everyone's guessing about everything at this point. You know, would, would you would you bet on the Premier League being successful? It's probably a 50-50 thing now, I, guess, I don't know. But you know, the, the European tour is not going to be as strong as it was in the 80s because it doesn't have those five great players who carried it. And if it did, they'd have all gone to America by now, which is yeah. kind of what's happened yeah. to the European tour, hasn't it? They, they all yeah. went to the States um, rather than sticking around. I know it's a silly question, Shaq, but do you have any sort of gut feelings about how professional golf in particular might look 10 years from now? I think it's going to be radically different. Yeah. And uh, I think that the trend uh, we have seen and then expedited by this uh, towards certain elements, uh, what the fan wants will win out. Ultimately, it'll be a fight. It'll be bizarre and uh, ugly. And it'll, it, it, it will require some television executives and different people to uh, use their imagination. And uh, I, I don't know how long that'll take, but it, it does seem like we're headed in a, in a different direction, but I, I don't think it's all negative. I, I really don't. I, I think some of it could be make the sport a lot more interesting and the, the things that were, were evolving before this will continue. Uh, they're just gonna, they're, they're probably going to be expedited. Uh, but, uh, We'll see. I, I don't know. I'm fascinated by this notion of, of uh, these tours operating, thinking that the long-term health is, is built around what the players need as opposed to what the fans need. I, I just don't know how they think that's a, a long-term solution. Mm. And, I, and I think that's what's, and I'd love to hear what Richard thinks, but that, that's where the European tour has to be uh, uh, a little bit flustered because they have been trying a little bit harder on that front. And they are better at some things on that that front. 
uh, in terms of marketing and, and relatability. And yet they'll have players like Rory and John Rahm uh, announce their, their loyalty to the PGA tour, even though that's where they got started. So they, they have to be, they have to be more hurt by some of the things that have transpired in the last few months and the, and the, the pledges of allegiance by those, those, those players than the premier golf league was because the European tour gave them their, their place to start. Richard. Um, is this the 10 year question? Yeah. The 10 year question. Yeah. Um, I think it will be, uh, the top, the very top of the game will be much smaller. I think it will be mixed. There'll be teams. You will have one media entity, Amazon, Apple, whoever will be paying the check. Um, it will be a privately owned. It won't be the, under the duration of the, you know, the, uh, the tours and the and the RNA and and the rest of it that I, I the majors will continue but outside of that I think there'll be fundamental change I think that you know we won't recognise that and it will go direct to us we won't we'll 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 just get it um on, you know wherever we want it yeah uh, uh, whatever you know so we'll just pay one fee and get everything straight to the laptop phone it's that whole bundle unbundle idea that you've talked about so many times in the past isn't that the, the way that works uh interesting stuff uh, well, can i can i, I of course I, I, while we have richard and i i wanted i struggled a little bit with that uh not philosophically but more of just trying to understand uh, richard because i i we're having now subscription fatigue here already uh in the united states and now we're getting back to bundling <laughs> could you just take me through that uh, uh, briefly and well, I'll highlight this, the story on my blog post, and but it, kind of the, the the concept and theory there of bundling versus unbundling. Yeah, I mean it's a, it's that's a sort of so the quote actually is from a guy who who founded Netscape in the nineties, and he was asked the question about you know the, the the bundling and unbundling. He's saying well, you know, there are basically two ways of making money: one is to bundle things, and the other is to unbundle them. And I think we're at the moment, you know, what we're seeing is if you look at um, the when from the start of the sort of cable TV satellite television um, boom, what the, the economy of, of sport has been based on the the multi-sport bundle. So we're all the sports put into one and we pay 20, 30, 50 quid a month and we get everything. Now, that for reasons we all know, there's the. the cord cutting or whatever people are saying well i don't want to pay that's too much i'm getting there's a lot of waste in there that i'm not interested in and therefore they're then going to separate those out and so some sports in some markets um are going ott over the top building their own streaming platforms and trying to to find their own audience and it's predicated on a, on a basic truth that the problem that lots of sports have is that they don't know who their fans are so if you because they've always um, put that job to broadcasters and to, to their sponsors. So they've, they've been very, they're very small businesses, Premier League, Dow, you know, all of these companies. They're very small businesses and they are they are B2B. They're, they're, they're selling packaging rights and passing them on to third parties, so broadcasters who then sell to us and retail 
the the rights to us at the you know as as fans and we we buy from them so the european tour doesn't have a clue who golf fans are um in the same way as you know in, in a different way that you know so for example amazon they're not allowed in amazon's wall garden we amazon knows knows everything about me facebook knows 95 percent of of me they can they can identify who i am what i do what i like my sexuality, my race, my gender. There is nothing they don't know about me. And they know me better than my wife knows me. So the European <laughs> tour don't know who I am. I could walk in their front office and they wouldn't know who I am. I'm a golf fan, but because they just haven't got that infrastructure. Now, the, to go from the European tour to Amazon is an enormous uh, sort of question. And that is, you know, under the banner of digital transformation, that's the, the, the story of the last few years and the story of the next 10 years has been can sports move and become a bit more like um, Amazon or Apple who know everything about us. So that's you've got a lot of people selling that that dream. Some of them will make it. Some of them won't. Um, and if the basic fundamental your question is, am I going to pay for all these different subscriptions? I'm already paying for Spotify. I'm paying for you know, am I going to pay for Disney Plus? Am I paying for Netflix? Am I also going to pay for European Tour direct to me? Who knows? But it depends on on how yeah. you know the, the quality of the the output. But essentially, yeah. a bit like the album was broken up in the two thousands, um, and we re, you know we cottoned on that the album was actually a bit like the the sort of full sport package. It's full of stuff that a couple of greatest hits, but a, a couple of hit singles. But the rest of it, I can I can take or leave. That's essentially what's happening now. Now, mm. when we get to the point where we've got subscription overload, the next move will be, well, why don't we put these things back together? <laughs> Let's bundle them. <laughs> yeah. start to bundle sports again. And then you start to sort of see the packages um, becoming um, offered it'll be, joined up. It'll be a build-your-own bundle, I would think, wouldn't it, Richard? With the digital technology, that's possible, unlike it would be with broadcast television or even cable television, where you can say, right, here's the 50 sports on offer. I want those four. And I'll say, okay, well, they're normally 10 quid each, but because you're taking all four, you're going to get two quid off each one, so you'll pay 42 instead of 50, whatever the maths is, for the month. Is that something? Is that sort of how that might look, do you think? Or Yeah. I mean, it's also bundles actually can be good value for the for the punter mm-hmm. yep. because you know it's over here you've seen sky strip out a lot of the uh, of sports and focused on you know going with their vertical channels and premier league golf cricket and um, it exposes individual sports in a way that they weren't exposed before because we just bought the package and um now if you're if you have to buy an individual sort of sport you know I, you, you can get so DAZN which is the new kid on the block in terms of broadcast they have built a business based on boxing on the whole in the states because their their data suggests that um, 25% of sports fans value boxing in a, in, within the package so but that's not a sustainable for every country and every every market so they are, you know, unless they get the Premier League in the UK and unless they get something else. But it's, it's, it's a bet, essentially. Mm. Wow. Because, of course, all of that uh, media delivery is tied up in what the future success of the tours and whatnot, isn't it? I mean, that, that stuff will be as much a part of dictating how successful golf is into the future 
as golf itself as a product. The, the ease with which you can see it, have it delivered to you, and uh, all of that stuff is – we don't talk about it much. We talk about the stars and the shots and the moments and, you know, the Tigers win last year. If you go got on, the same uh, uh, Ron, if you go on, um, you know, YouTube and Twitter and there's a whole ecos- golf ecosystem which – that's not a sport that's that's in decline. That's a sport that there's an enormous amount of excitement around. Yeah. You know, lots of bloggers, lots of individual people doing. You know, there's archive. There's it, it, it's we're talking about a bit of the picture, which is the sort of live, live, big moments. So they're always going to be value valuable. So they're always going to be a broadcast product. But a lot of it doesn't have to be a broadcast product. Yeah. Well, they rebroadcast last year's Masters, didn't they, on Sunday? Shaq with Tiger doing some of the commentating and it went nuts from what I could see on Twitter on CBS. The coverage was was uh, was pretty amazing. So yeah, well, it helped that it was a good final round worth watching. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but it, but it was a great little bit of supplemental coverage. He was a little stiff early on, but it, as it went, it got better. And despite the delays and and poor quality, um, but kind of add what, to it in a funny way, Shaq. Oh gosh, no! I wish we did. A, I think they should do it with every major championship. Um, but again, the, the the do the people packaging and and doing golf? Do they have any incentive to go and spend the time to, to set that up? And they don't. Uh, they generally have not. But we should every major should should do that where you uh, Wednesday night. you watch it with with the winner uh, to have those in the archives and throw on TV when nobody's uh, when there's no tournament or whatever. It was it's no it's it was fantastic and it, really in hindsight it's not that of the things to, to do i mean if they're doing it from jim nance doing it from his house and tiger from his uh panic room or whatever that was, he just, <laughs> was what yeah. was that I, I think but... here's my theory here's my theory he has a a simulator track man room uh what would be the garage for everybody else and because it's loud he has padded walls soundproof yeah because there were some monitors that would indicate that he has monitors to look at his swing, but it, you pad the walls so that, that the sound isn't so, so awful when you, when you hit the shot. Yeah. That's my theory. I'm, that's a positive theory. I, I think, <laughs> I actually think you're right. Cause you can see all the putters lined up in the background too. I think it's a soundproof yeah, room so he can smack balls without upsetting yeah, the family. Better acoustics. And he picked that room probably thinking, wow, the sound will be better in here than somewhere else in the house. That's, that's, that's the working theory. And he was right because Nance's sound was appalling. And Tigers was good. <laughs> how they manage that? How they can't get these big time TV stars to sound unbelievable, half decent. Unbelievable. He's using AirPods. Come on, guys! I not- know AirPods. It was incredible. It's bizarre. Um, anyway, but one, one thing, one last thing, if I could, because Richard got me thinking. One of the things that I struggle with 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 golf is that I feel like, uh, and cricket, I believe, would be the same way, and baseball would be the same way. So help me here, Richard. And I think Clays would agree that golf is a sport you turn on and it's it's nice to have in the background and then there are other sports where you actually sit down to watch that game and and you're you're locked in you know how long it's going to be whether it's football uh, or basketball something like that it's a little more action-packed and so how you value that as a paying customer customer to me is different that that i don't mind paying for something where i know i'm going to watch the games Whereas the sports that I like to just have, obviously I watch a lot of golf because it's it's my job, but I like to have them on in the background. It's just a nice pace. It, it sounds good. 
Uh, it's, you don't get annoyed having it on. You occasionally watch. Does that? Uh, do you think that enters into the thinking of how a customer is, is expected to pay for these sports? The different kind, the way the sports are played. Yeah, no, it's a good question because one of the one of the uh, the answer is that it's a fairly crude um, equation, which is you know basically sport is taken and pushed down. Um, a tube in terms of its, you know, the sports rights market, and it's it sort of comes out looking like a ver- you know versions of itself. And if you, I've I've quite often thought that because there's obviously the you know the millennial cliche which we've all um, debunked in the past, but you know this idea that they they have to have you know sort of um, high impact all the time, and actually whether or not golf could be marketed a bit more like a sort of binge streaming experience rather than a, a traditional sort of sport, short, sharp sort of hits that, you know, like a football match, for example. I think there's sort of, there's lots of space to do that. Um, it's just trying to, again, educate the market to, to that's how you're going to, going to do it. Cause I think there is a sort of, it's a, it's a, long way of saying yeah i think there is a uh, a, a different way of of promoting golf i think golf and cricket they do different things and they're they they behave differently than other than other sports um but there is a it's sometimes quite difficult it's quite a um you know it, it, there is a sort of lack of innovation within that but yeah. having said that as i say the, the examples that we're seeing at the moment what of of programming because they have to think about these things differently it's quite interesting what they're coming up with well yeah on that topic i was encouraged to watch the formula one uh reality show on netflix and uh i mean i'm sure for a formula one fan some of the setup and the way they describe things people roll their eyes because it's for people like me who don't know the sport but then what they let you see i can never imagine golf doing that (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> those kinds of things it's 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 just it's edgier than something our sport could could handle but i can see why it's i mean i don't know what it translates to in terms of growing their sport but boy it's awfully compelling to watch well that that you know the the Driven, i don't want to i don't want to win the point again from uh, from rob <laughs> but essentially that program is a classic case study in trying to broaden out away from a sort of petrol head audience into mm. people like you who will you know okay you're now you've been touched by formula one in some yep. way and the, you know, the, the next step yep. might be that you at some point watch a race absolutely so that is that's the bit that we're saying that every sport now i mean if you look on amazon there is a quite a good um, series about Australian cricket, the test about the uh, cheating bastard Australians. <laughs> um, they uh, and it's just a sort of two-year um, documentary series. So, it's, and that's really good. You know, it's really interesting. Again, it's it's, but editorially, it's coming from the governing body in the same way as the Formula One stuff is as well. So, it's not it's not a true editorially driven product, but it's good, and the access they get is extraordinary. Mm. And it touches a lot of people who won't ever watch a cricket match. Yeah, yeah. I've heard of the F one thing. People are raving about it all over the place. It's really well done. Never yeah, gave terrific, a thought to, terrific, the, yeah. to Have watch you watched it. Clay's? I've watched it. It's terrific. Yeah, I mean, I know who um, Pierre Gasly is now. I, you know, I never would have heard of him before that, but right. I thought it was great. I thought it was a brilliant show. 
isn't one of your mates got a son that's a Formula One driver or something, Clates? Did you tell us that? Oh, uh, no. Yeah, no. Charlie Bolling was the golf pro for the owner of the pink team. Who's got the pink car? His son's a driver. Um, I should know it. No, it was a, it was a, Good-looking Canadian kid. His dad was the agent for, yeah, not Fela, but um, some massive clothing brand. He was Canadian but sold in America. He, he bought the, that pink car um, and his son was driving for him. Good-looking young kid from Canada. But they're quite a way down the, the, um, the pecking order in Formula One, but they're still there. Yeah. But Charlie, who's now the golf pro at best page, black in – well, Beth Page in New York was the. He was this guy's kind of personal golf pro for seven years. He flew him around the world just playing golf with him and organising golf, and, mm. which was a pretty nice gig to have. But I, I think Clates just went two up on both of us, Richard. <laughs> he knows He's got been a, takes the win. Clates for the win. Personal <laughs> golf. That's right. I'm forty love down. I've got no hope of getting back <laughs> in the game. But yeah. Clates as well. And I know. I know. I remember that that you know all that, Clates, because we were we must have been talking. The week before, and and you just said offhandedly at the end, oh, "I'm off to go and watch the the Grand Prix at Melbourne in Melbourne." I was like, "What are you doing watching the Grand Prix?" And then you told the story about how you've you know the guy whose son is, uh, is driving for the thing. Uh, we've gone yeah. longer than I expected to, guys. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. It's- no, it's not your fault. Well, what else are we going to do? It's not well, like people are going out that. to do but their shopping. Richard probably would like to go to bed, but yeah. Well, there's Richard, that too, yeah. Richard probably would like to go to bed, so we'll let him do that. Richard, fantastic of you to join us as always. It's always a pleasure to chat to you, mate. It has been again today. Thank you. Thanks very much. Great, great, great Thank stuff. Thank you, Richard. Terrific, Shaq. Uh, it's not late where you are, but uh, appreciate you yeah. taking the time. Congrats on the, the podcast, mate. Really looking forward to more on that, so we'll be keeping an eye on the blog great, and Twitter you. when new episodes come up, so uh, looking forward to that. And some of your blog posts that you've got uh, uh, bubbling away there by the sound of it. They'll be looking forward to to seeing those as well. And, Clay, it's always great to have you on board, mate, and uh, thank you for your input today. We'll talk again soon, no doubt. Yeah, that was um, Lance Stroll, who rides for yeah. Force, Force ah. India. What's his name? Lance? Lance Stroll, S-T-R-O-L-L. Lance Stroll. It's a hell of a name for an F1 driver, isn't it? Stroll. Yeah. So his dad was Lawrence Stroll, was his dad. I think it was a – you can all Google him and find out who he was, but – with, uh, so Charlie was Lawrence's golf pro years. Yeah. Well, in fact, I recall saying at the time, we must get him on the show. He would have some fascinating stories to tell, so we'll keep doing that. But for the moment, thank you, Clay. It's great to chat to you, as always. Thank you, right? Enjoy it. As always, good to talk to you guys. Indeed. That's episode 104 of State of the Game in the books. There will be an episode 105 when? Well, that's the million-dollar question. We'll answer it when that time comes around. That's it for State of the Game. State of the Game is a Talk and Golf production. Theme music, Writer's Retreat, provided by Lloyd Cole. Visit www.lloydcole.com for more information. For more golf podcasts, log on to www.talkandgolf.com.